<laughs> giving us that experience. You know, it's funny, uh, the tithe is, um, I don't know if you, you know, on, uh, see it on social media or with friends or something, and you, you hear all this debate about the tithe, um, you know, oh, is it Old Testament, or it's part of the law, and I don't have to do it, and it was, it's funny, I've seen a few, you know, you see those strand arguments that kind of make you laugh on Facebook, where you see people getting so technical on, on different issues that you, you wonder, are you trying to, like, talk yourself out of something? Like, you're trying to defend it so much and make it not for today um, uh, that you, you're almost like trying to talk yourself into that it's okay not to do, uh, to give the Lord. And, and I get it, you know, it, it's really, you really don't have to tithe. Actually, you're so free in Christ that you really don't have to do anything. You're, you're free. But you're, you're not free to not have the consequences of your actions take place in your life. So a, a good way to think of it is because a few things about the tithe. The tithe was way before the law ever existed. Okay, The tithe was a principle before that, but that's a whole other story. Um, but Paul actually uh, brings us some really good advice in the New Testament. One of his letters, he says that um, he talks about, you know, don't give begrudgingly. You know, don't give with a, a nasty heart or you know, give with a happy heart. In fact, it says, you know, if you really study that word, give hilariously. When you give, it should be with a joyful heart to where you're, you're cracking up because you're so excited about the investment that you're making. In fact, he actually goes more into an investment about your giving um, than any other place in the Bible because he brings up uh, sowing and reaping. And that, that scripture reference, he brings up, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly, right? If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. And so it's interesting that he ties in giving and the tithe and giving and all that stuff into a, 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 a multiplier or a sowing principle. He brings the farming community in and says, look, you all know what this means. You put a lot of seed over here and water it and you're going to get a lot of stuff after that because in the Bible, giving is always seed-based, meaning one seed produces a lot more than just one thing, right? right? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. He said, give, and it shall be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, right? So it's always give one or plant one seed and get it multiplied back to you. So he says, yeah, you know, don't, be, don't give because you feel guilty that you're not obeying some rule. He's like, give because you're investing in something that's going to be good for you in your future, I, I, I was talking to Jen, and we were talking about that, and we are like, hey, it's kind of like retirement. You don't have to save or do anything about retirement when you're in your 20s or 30s, right? You don't have to put in there. You're free to not save and plan for your retirement, right? And you're free to not give to the Lord any money. You really are free, except when you get to retirement... You're not going to have anything. When you get to your tomorrow, if you don't plant today, right, Brad? If you don't plant healthy, good seed today, your tomorrow, you're going to have less and less and less and less. And pretty soon, if you don't plant seed, you will have nothing. Mm -hmm. So you have to plant seed. And Paul makes it clear, hey, give, give with a good heart, good attitude. That's important. But don't forget that if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Wow, what a thing to put on giving. That's an exciting thing. Like, God, what are you saying here? Because Paul's talking about giving of your time, talents, and treasures, and specifically there, your offering. 
something that you've earned or made up and God's given you the ability to make and you've produced and here you have this product and you can say, here, God, I'm going to plant seeds into your kingdom and I'm going to invest that. It goes for everything, not only money, but your, your, your encouraging words to someone. If you want a good marriage, we'll start planting some seeds in it. If you want a good relationship in the church and with other people in church, start planting good seeds of, hey, do I even know you? I want you to look around the room real quick. Look, catch, look around, turn around, look at, look at as many people as you can in the eye. Just, you probably know most of the people here. Not a very large group, so look around. Okay, now I want you to think of how well you know that person, and I want you to, uh, we're going to do a little activity. I want you to get up, and I want you to find somebody that you do not have their cell phone number. And I want you to go get it. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> If you don't want to, don't play. You don't have to. I'm not, not going to force you. But here's the, here's the thought behind this, guys. If, if you guys are, if we're a family, we're supposed to be right now, whether there's me and Jen and Chris, three of us, or 15 or 20 or 120 or 2,000, this family that we gather with on Sundays is supposed to be a group of people that we love like Christ loves us. In fact, he assimilates and compares the love of marriage to the love that the church is supposed to have. Now, we all feel a little deficient because when we look around, we, oh man, do I love Mikey like Christ loved the church? What does that look like? What does that mean? If I'm to love Mikey like Christ loved the church, like I even care about Jen, like how can that relate to people that we really don't, I mean, we see them on Sundays, but do we know them? We don't even have their cell phone number. And in this day and age, if you don't got a cell number, it's kind of like you don't really know the person, right? Are you with me? And she doesn't have a cell phone, so we're going to get your home phone. <laughs> I don't know my number. That's how I forget numbers. So I want, you to, I want you to get up and find someone that maybe you don't know, and if you don't want to give their cell phone number, but if you don't have their cell phone number, I want you to go introduce yourself and say, hey, maybe one day we can have a cell phone number. You know, maybe we can text someone, you know, text each other. So come on, get up, find someone that you have no, you know them, but you don't know them as much as you'd like to. <laughs> D, what's your number? Do you have a cell phone number? Just don't forget all this in five minutes, and then you forget. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, hey, so, uh, you know, we've been talking about, um, on the front of your bullets, we have the, the title of this series, which is Be the Church. And we've been, we introduced this a week ago, and maybe you weren't here, and um, I'm actually going to re, uh, re-preach that uh, by myself to Sven. And, and record it so I can have it online, because I want to keep this whole series together. If you didn't hear the first thing. I'm going to review a little bit today on that, but um, if you haven't heard that, it'll be posted um, this week at some point. So you can go back and listen to it. So you get the crux, crux of the message, because if you don't understand the beginning part of it, it maybe won't make as much sense. But we're talking about being the church, and really, being the church is just what you did. That's more of being the church than listening to a sermon, I believe, or than actually singing songs. <laughs> But that's just me. But I, I did that because I want you guys, the connection of this body 
Um, and it, it doesn't matter if there's 220 or 2,000. The, the connection has to be no matter what it is. That, that needs to be the heartbeat of any church is the connection that we have one to another. If we don't have one to another, we're missing the whole point. The whole point of church and what did church mean? What does the word church mean where, if you were here two weeks ago? Anybody? Was anyone here two weeks ago? Yes. Thank you, Gary. Good job. The called out ones, Exclusia, which is the called out ones. We are not, the church is not a building. We know that, but it's the called out ones. So, hey, so we're going to start with a little, uh, another fun thing. So in your notes, everyone have notes. We, you need your notes. If you don't have them, raise your hand and we'll make sure you get them. You got to have the notes for this first exercise. You don't have to take notes later if you don't want, but if you don't have them, raise your hand and we'll get you one. Okay, so there's several. Mikey, thank you, sir. Pastor Chris doesn't have notes. That's kind of a shame, you know. You just grab them all. That's laugh, yeah. Yeah, just throw them out. Let's, let's hurry up. So, okay, I'm going to set up this fun exercise. So on your notes, you have um, on the top there when you get them, um, you're going to have a, a, just a list, two, two separate lists, one through five. Keep your hands up if you need them because they're coming out. Uh, Mikey's got them here. Everyone have one? Everybody, everyone needs it. I don't want anyone not having one. And you can, you know, don't worry about it. I'm not going to check your notes. But and you get, everyone got a pen too? You're going to have to write. I guess this wouldn't be any good without a pen. Everyone got a pen? Okay, we're good. All right. So on your notes, you got um, two, uh, a list, a one through five, okay? So now, before I tell you what I want you to write down, I want you to write down, I don't want you to overthink this. Don't overthink it. Don't try and be smarty pants and, you know, try and figure out what I'm really wanting. This is not about what I want you to write. This is really about what comes up to your mind first, um, what, what the nat- your natural reaction is. I don't want you to overanalyze your own thoughts so that you think you would say one thing, but then you want to say the right thing because, you know what I mean? So I want you to write what, what comes to your mind without really thinking about it. Just jot it down. There is no right and wrong answers. And I'm really, I really want your honest, open, reactional uh, comments because that's really what we're after and that's really what I want to I talk about a little bit today. So on the first, on the left there, one through five, I want you to picture yourself pulling into a parking lot of a brand new church, okay? You're pulling up to a brand new church. You're, gonna, you're, you're looking for a church in today's age. You're, you, the river gets firebombed, blows up. Me and Jen die. Everyone else lives. And you guys got to find a new place to go to church. Kind of morbid, I know. But I'm in heaven, so I'm, I'm cool with that story. So, <laughs> so you're, you're pulling up to a new church. And so I want you to write down on those five things really fast. You're only going to have a minute to do this, so don't overthink it. The first things that come up, I want you to write down the top five priorities that you're looking for in this new church that's going to make it a good church for you to go to. So ready, go, go. First thoughts. Don't think about it. Just write it. Write, 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 write. What does that church need to have for you to like it? What's going to make it a, what's going to sell it to you? What's going to make you leave and go, I'm coming back here. This place is awesome. Boom, 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 boom. All right. 20 more seconds. Just five things. Just Just the left column, just five quick ones. They can be one-worders, so you kind of know what you're meaning. Just one word, boom, boom, boom. What's going to make that successful? What's a good, what's going to sell it to you? Ten seconds. All right, that's good. All right, 
Penza. No, I'm kidding. No, you can write your last word. It's not an SAT. Come on. <laughs> Let's get a little crazy. All right, so your second list. Now, in this second list, same thing, fast. Don't think about it. Um, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to think about it a little more because it might take a little more thinking. Um, so in this list, I want you to list down um, the top five priorities that you think Father God would want you to have when you meet together with a group of Christians. What are the top five things would be on God's heart for you to have in that meeting? Go. And if you're nervous because they're not matching, don't fret. What does God want? What's important? What's the most five important things to God when his children come together? Okay, a few more seconds. All right. Everyone done? Almost? Look up. Say hallelujah when you're done. Hallelujah. Oh, okay. All right, so first list. Let's hear some from the first list. Let's hear some of your stuff. What do you got? Well, yeah, someone, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Gary. I put uh, being greeted, smiles, friendliness, an honest interest, and then a plan. Okay, good. Someone else. Yeah, Paula. Okay, good. Yeah. I have, I'm looking forward to the family, love from the people, message, worship, and the time. Nice, good. Yeah, thank you. And I put building. <laughs> building, yeah, right, right. So you don't want to be out in the field or a tent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids, um, love, kids, and friendly. Love and friendly. Good. Those are all good. So awesome. So those are good things that we that came to your mind right off the bat. Now, how did those compare to the second list? And let's share a few of those. Who wants to share from their second list? What's the most five important things that God would want in a group meeting together of believers? Notice I didn't say. Who wants to start? Michelle. I got prayer and knowledge. So this is God's list? Yes. Okay. Bible knowledge, a happy heart, connections with others, and helping others who need the help. Good. Anyone? Gary? I have joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, and patience. Oh, you cheater. <laughs> Galatians, what, five? <laughs> That's good, Gary. I like it. Paula. Friendship, love, peace, learning, and the Holy Spirit. Mm. Good. Uh, Shannon, did you? Holy Spirit. If you got the Holy Spirit, you got the rest? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's a good thought. Brad, what'd you put? I got four. I got love, fellowship, um, changing itself, and worship. That's good. Now, my question to you is now, how, now that you're looking at these two lists, how do you feel in the comparison to them? Were there any differences? Were there? There was a lot in mind, guys. I, when I first did this, I was kind of embarrassed because these lists should be the exact same. 
<laughs> yeah, and some of you I know, that's fine. But the, the point I want to I wanna talk about is one side was what the world, because we're all in the world, we're not of it, but we are in the world and we, we adapt to the ways the world thinks and we have adapted the way we've thought of church to how the world does things, whether it's the way we entertain and all that and, and the way we uh, view it, the way we present the gospel sometimes, um, not all bad, but sometimes we get a little on the, we want to uh, tickle the ears, we want to entertain, we want people to like it, we want people to have a, you know, a great time, it's got to be all this positive stuff and know anything that's questionable or off because that won't help it grow. We have this business mentality of we have to make the church grow, it has to bring in ties, it's, a bi- it's that business, and there is a business side of the church, but sometimes it goes over and there's too much business. Versus if you think about the second list, you think about what if we put that list on our first list and just said, hey, we want, what, what if we wanted, what does God want when this group meets together here versus what should we have so that more people will come to this church? Are you with me? Because if you think about that, it, it's a little tweak difference and, and there's a lot of, you know, meshing and mixing. So don't, I'm not trying to judge either one. I'm trying to get God's heart because like Shannon did say, Holy Spirit, like if God's presence is here, you know, a lot of that other stuff will be present. If, if he's here, you're going to love people. There's going to be this love. And I, I did notice that a lot more in the second list where relationship and love and the caring connection part was bigger. Did you, is that, did you notice that in your list? And I, I think that that's an important, uh, or are we recording? Yes. Yes, we are. Okay, good. Um, don't want to do two this week. Thanks, Gary. Um, I want to make sure as we get into this uh, series on Be the Church, remember, Be the Church is, is the topic, but we're talking about God's original design. What was God's original heartbeat as he birthed this new church, as the church was birthed on the day, really, of Pentecost, and this whole, a whole new era began. A whole new time began in all the history of the world where it was uh, God's law all the way up. All this, all this uh, setup, all this sacrifice. They say, um, someone said that if you counted up all the sacrifices that were made in Israel, obviously it would be an estimation of some sorts, but if you took up what they were required to do, it would cover the earth and blood up to, I think, your knees. Not sure if that's how accurate, but it's a lot of blood, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of um, animals and giving up their lifeblood for the forgiveness or the covering of sin. And you think, wow, thousands of years of doing that. And now all of a sudden, with one act of love on the, on, on the cross, all that thousands of years, generational, generation after generation after generation of uh, having to present blood and do all these ritualistic rules to actually have God like you and be in right standing with him was over. One act, done. And so we have this church that's has seen Jesus' life, has, has lived for generations of all these laws and rules they've had to follow and never measuring up, never feeling like they were good enough to really be accepted by God. No one did, no one could. And all of a sudden, this guy comes, a, a, a really a nobody, born in Bethlehem. That was kind of like Stockton. 
born somewhere where you wouldn't expect, you know, oh, L.A., you know, or San Francisco or whatever. But he was born in Bethlehem. He, he was, uh, the Bible makes it clear that he wasn't like this spectacular, chiseled, you know, long flowing hair, you know, commercial guy that, you know, looked the, the right part. He, Jesus was a man, just a man. He was the son of God, but he didn't come with extra favors on his life. He didn't come with uh, a half of his power and anointing from being the creator, right? I mean, he has everything. He knows all things, but he gave up a lot of that so that he could experience and walk through life just like we did. And so you have these people that see this, this guy come upon the scene, and he's, he knows the scriptures better than anyone else, but he's not talking about them like everyone else. He's, he's talking about the scriptures differently than all their teachers and forefathers have talked about it. Because, see, their forefathers have gotten so far off of the intention. Remember last week we talked about the traditions of man, the traditions of men making the, the word of God of no effect because of their traditions, meaning they one rabbi told another and they interpreted that, and it's like the telephone game. By the time it gets down to here, it's not even what God really said. Not what his intentions were at all. And so here you have this guy coming in and blasting the spiritual church religious leaders apart. But then having this amazing grace and mercy on harlots and sinners and tax collectors and all the people that were bad in that day. He's spending time with and loving on them. And he's telling the religious leaders, the people that everyone's, oh, I have to please this guy. He's not even, he's saying, you whitewashed, get out of here. You know, you better change your ways. Imagine this. Imagine, church, that these people that have had this whole lifestyle, all generation passed down, and here's this Jesus guy coming on the scene and, and stirring up everything. Going into church. Just think about it. If someone came in here right now and started flipping chairs around and started rebuking all of us and stormed out. Right? <laughs> We'd call the cops on Jesus, wouldn't we? That's probably what they thought. In fact, they did. They wanted to get arrested. They wanted to kill him from early on. And so they have this change where all of a sudden he lives this life. He, does, he, he speaks with power, meaning, when you see that, it means that he not only knew the word and understood the interpretation of it, but it meant that he operated in the power, miracles. People, everywhere he went, he presented the word, he taught the word, he opened up the scriptures to them, and then he showed them what that meant to be in this new kingdom. He opened blind eyes, he cast out devils, he set people free, he forgave sin. And so, wow, this guy, who is this guy? He dies on the cross, everyone pretty much left him before then. He had a huge following when he was doing all the cool stuff. But the moment he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he lost a lot of people. And then he started talking about commitment, he lost a lot more. Then he started about losing your life if you want to gain it, he lost even more. And if he says, you want to be my disciple, you've got to forsake everything. And then he only had a few people, and then even the one guy, Peter, didn't even honor him by saying he knew him. So he died alone, and then all of a sudden he rose from the dead and went down to hell and did his deal and kicked some butt and took names, and, and he rose from the dead, and all of a sudden these people are starting to realize, and the Spirit of God starting to open up the real scriptures to them about what's happening. And I mean, when he rose from the dead, what does it say, over 500? The dead people are up walking in the city, guys, 
Are you serious? Uh, what would we do at the cemetery and there's, hey, well, you're dead. Wait, you're dead too. What, zombie apocalypse? I mean, we'd probably start shooting them. But I'm telling you, this is an amazing event of power that people are going, oh my goodness, here's this guy that said he was the Messiah, the very thing that all of our ancestry and history was pointing to. Everything from Genesis 1 and 2 to the last book of the Old Testament, everything points towards this Messiah. We all missed him, and he was the guy, and they're all coming to the knowledge of, this was him. And a bunch of them got together, started praying and believing, and then Jesus showed up and said, don't, you better wait until this happens. And so I want you to get yourself in that picture of this new church being birthed and this new whole phase and era coming um, into an existence. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So as we go through the next few weeks of just investigating what being the church looks like and we investigate what God says, hey, this is my original intent, right? This is what I wanted. Uh, I want us to see if we can get our list more in alignment. And maybe our list will start looking for this church just like what we want if God was, oh yeah, wait, he is here. If God was here and we're here, we're coming to this building not to be entertained, not to hear a good sermon or great, fantastic worship. Thank you, worship team. I'm, I'm amazed, I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm amazed at the, the level of the worship in this church this, this whole year, I don't know if, is anyone else there or is that just me? The worship here has been awesome. I mean, I can't, I, I'm telling Jen, it's like, you know what's funny is that we have the fewest people since we've been here, but the worship time has been spectacular. <laughs> have I said that? How many times? Three, four times where I've said that, like, I, I mean, God's teaching me about what success really means. He's really, he's pulling um, wicked idolatry out of my mind because I, I think that success is something that it's not. And that's a great thing he's doing in me. But at the same time, I'm just like, God, you're so faithful because I don't care how many people are here. It's like the worship is phenomenal. I love these people. I look forward to seeing these people. This is great. Let all the other stuff go out the window. But anyway, that's a side note. Thank you, Chris, for leading that team and Gary and Mikey and everybody for Allison for singing and doing an awesome job. Yay! Uh, so I want us to, these lists to kind of merge together. And so as we, over the next few weeks, and I, I want you to get a, a hold of my heart on these series that we do, because I'm not just doing a series to, for you to come and listen. I'm, I'm, coming, I'm doing series so you learn, grow, and are challenged and changed. So this has to be more than what you just hear on Sundays. This has to be something you enter in with me and we walk through together and we pray during the week as we're reading the word. What, what are we just finishing? If you're reading with us in our journals, we're wrapping up Acts here pretty quick, right? And so we, we're just reading through this fresh uh, birth of the church and all the things that are in the church. And so we're going to have a fresh perspective to go, God, what did you mean? So I would say, hey, go back and reread through Acts on your uh, spare time. If you have a, an evening free, get the book of Acts out and just read through the first three chapters again and go, God, what, did, what was your heartbeat here in this first few chapters of Acts when you birthed your new bride? Right? Wow. So let's review really quick, and then we're going to talk about a couple things um, to help us get there. So in review on your notes, um, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the church needs transformation, 
right? So in review, this is our year of transformation. The Lord has spoken that to us. And so we've uh, accepted that from the Lord as, okay, Lord, we believe this. We're going to believe for it. Um, transformation is not guaranteed. It's promise. Promises aren't guaranteed. You have to take hold of promises. You don't just get them, right? From God, always, when he makes promises, there's always something that we need to come into do in alignment, whether sometimes it's with salvation, you just have to believe. Salvation is there and real. It's a promise. But not everyone's going to heaven, church. So you have to accept the promise and walk in it and walk by faith. So the, the church needs transformation. And we talked about the fact that uh, transformation requires steps that are needed in the transition. So we talked about all the steps. Remember, we talked five steps. We even added a few ones that we thought of on our own. Steps that added into, what are the steps of transition? How do we get, because God doesn't want us to go, hey, let's just close the church down and let's start something that he really wants. No, he wants us to transform and transition into more and more day by day into his glory. What does he really want? Getting more closely connected to his heart than ever before. Getting rid of the things that are of the world and not of God and adding on and, and adding to us things that make God's heart happy. What is going to make God pleased? What is God's view of success for this Sunday, the 17th, with this group of people? What is God's view of what's going to make this a successful time that we gather? Is it how good Chris did? Whether you like my sermon or not? Whether the coffee was hot? Or what's really going to make God happy? When, he's, when we're done and we leave, what, does God go, that was fun, man. Good job, guys. What's really making his heart happy? And that's something we need to think about and really um, ascertain together is, are we doing that? Are we moving towards that? So then we talked about those steps and we talked about, you know, what's the first step in um, recovery? Got to recognize the fact that you need to change. So if we're in a church and we don't think, we think we're doing everything perfect, then there's no need to change. So the first step is recognizing, not just as a whole, but as individuals that, Lord, I need to be a change, I need to change, uh, be a change agent for this church. I need to change my heart and perspectives of what I, my expectations are and align them with yours so I can be part of the solution and not the ongoing problem. Church defined is this. It's not a building. We talked about that. Very clear church was not a building. In fact, we talked about the Greek word for church, which is ekklesia, and we talked about those two words that, are made up, that make up that word, the first word ek, which means out from and to, and then the other part of that word kaleo, which means to call, to call forth. And we, we talked about the fact that this is the called out ones, that the, the church means, the, the word church means called out ones. It was a definition of people. It was a descriptive, like an adjective describing these people that have been called out of darkness in the world and into light. That's what the word meant. And something I didn't add in that first week that I actually saw in my notes that I forgot to put in, I thought, wow, that's really cool, so I'm going to add that in here. I want you to know what that word, ecclesia, church, translated church in English, meant to the Greeks. So to the Greeks, the word for church wasn't a new word to them. This wasn't a word that Jesus just made up as a cool new word for his new church, right? That word already existed in the language. And when Jesus used this word, man, this spoke volumes to the disciples because that was a common word used in that culture. And the, the Greek word meant to the church meant this in, in the Greek language and culture, the assembly of the free citizens. 
So that word meant to them in their context, in their culture, because Rome was all about power, right? We're reading through Acts, and what did, what did Paul bring up when he was getting his uh, back end beat for preaching Jesus? What did he say? Hey, uh, you going to beat me even though I'm a Roman citizen? And they went, oh, shoot. We didn't check that. We better check ourselves because there was a strong culture. Roman was a, the most powerful empire uh, uh, at the time. And when you were a Roman citizen, man, you had a lot of rights and, and power and freedom. And so when, a, when Rome would come in and conquer an area, and I, I may have mentioned this for you, but I love this story. When Rome would come in and conquer an area, do you know that they would go preach the gospel? They preached the gospel. That is another word that, we, that, that the church took from the Roman culture. They went and preached the gospel to wherever they were going and said, hey, look, here's the good news. Rome's coming in. We're big. We're going to destroy you, but we want to say if you don't want to be destroyed, you can become part of our thing and submit to us, to our kingdom, and then now we'll come in and we'll transform your city to Rome, and then you can be citizens and become part of this great empire. That was the gospel that the Romans preached to people that they were going to either kill or were going to become part of their kingdom. And you think, God, that's kind of scary. But if you really think about it, Jesus came and preached the gospel. And he said, look, I'm coming back and my kingdom is going to rule and reign. You have a choice. You receive the gospel and receive me as Savior, or you choose the other one, which is you choose death. We don't think of Jesus kind of giving those choices, do we? we think, oh, loving Jesus, he just, all he cares about is you raise your hand in church, and then you're good. You just maybe have a Bible at home and go to church as much as you, as you can, and you're good. But Jesus preached the gospel. The gospel is a great message, but it is a powerful, determinant, and eminent message that is going to happen. And when he comes back, he's coming back in his fullness, with his, with his kingdom, with his armies, and his power, and his glory, and he's going to set everything right. And if you have not received that gospel, you will be destroyed. That's what the word says. Pretty intense, isn't it? So when the disciples heard this, they associated this word church with the, the word church that said that Romans had this freedom. There was a society of free people that had all these great freedoms. And so he was saying, look, guys, the church, the ecclesia, and they're like, hey, I know that. What, that means this group over here that's super free saying, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the called out ones. This society, right here, here's a group. Here's a group in society, ecclesia, that are free. We are free, church. We are free from the law of sin and death. We are free from having, now we have power and authority to not sin anymore, to not follow the, the temptations of the flesh, but to reject that and follow Jesus Christ. He's given us a spirit we are part of ecclesia. We are part of that society that is now free indeed. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So when the church, when the apostles heard this, they were like, what? So this is, no, okay. And they were getting a hold of this. It took them a while because they still thought it was going to be a physical kingdom where they're going to take over Rome and rule right then. But so they said, oh, okay, so this is the spiritual side. Our battle, Paul said later, a lot later on, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and power. So the warfare is in this spiritual realm right now. And our church, we have full authority. Now we are free in this. We are free now to 
to follow after God's heart, to not sin anymore, to be like the kingdom that's coming. We want to be transformed so that when the kingdom comes, we're just like them, right? God's kingdom. Just like in Rome, he would send, oh, another Greek word, apostles. They would send apostles that would go down and set in motion for that city to be transformed so that when the emperor came and visited this new land he conquered, it would be just like Rome. So as Christians, aren't we the same? Aren't we preparing? The bride is preparing ourselves to rule and reign with Christ and to present the body, the whole Christ body, as one that reflects the kingdom of heaven, God's heart, his word, his power, Right? You see the resemblance there? So this Greek word for church, when Jesus was speaking these, he was taking the cultural words of the day and making them alive in the spirit and going, this is what we're going to do in the spirit. And one day it's going to be not only spirit, but it's going to be everything inclusive. And I'm going to redo this whole earth and you're going to rule and reign with me literally. Does that make you excited? Makes me excited. So anyway, I wanted to throw that in for that. So the church is not a building. It's the called out ones. Then we got into really quickly, we got into um, returning to your first love. Remember we talked about the church at Ephesus, and I think it was Revelations 2. We talked about returning to the first love, and we talked about, remember it said, do the deeds that you once did. And that kind of helped us understand that even though we're, see, Ephesus was a church, and that church had been going on for years. And even though God had good things to say about that church in Ephesus, he also had some things not so good. And he says, I need you to think about this, guys. Ephesus was a church like we are. And even in our small group, we're doing good things. We're, there's some things that are good that are happening. And, though, and, though, and then God said to this church at Ephesus that was doing good things, there's a couple things you're not doing so well. And one of them, I, I need you to return to your first love, and that means start doing the deeds you did at first, when you first fell in love with me. What you did then, I want you to start doing because you've forgotten those and haven't done those. And if you don't do them, I'm going to come take your lampstand. Whoa. You would just think, hey, I'm just going to you know, spank you and correct you, but you know, you're fine. But no, taking your lampstand is not a good deal. That's your light. <laughs> He's going to take your lampstand, right? So it was an intense thing. So just think as we looked at that time, which was the church of today, we could be having good things happening, but still, still totally missing some major points that God wants us to get a hold of that we need to return to or start doing and be oblivious unless we're hearing the Spirit, right? So we, we talked about that, so I won't go too far. But then the next thing was repent. That was a big deal. I'm not going to spend, because I could spend the rest of the, you know, the day talking on true repentance. True repentance means to think differently after being with. You think differently about the sin. If you truly repent, that means you stop doing that sin because you're turned the other way and you now think differently about that sin. And not only think differently, but you think differently about it through the eyes of Jesus. You start seeing the sin as God views it And then as you start seeing the sin as God views it, you start understanding why that's not good for you and why he says, no, no, don't do that because it'll bring destruction on your life. So then in your mind, you're like, well, why would I want to bring destruction on my life? Now I'm repenting from that. I'm seeing it now differently than I did before. And so that changes and causes, causes us to be able to look at it differently and then change our behavior and then act differently. 
And then the last one we already said, which was listen to what the Spirit says. At the end of every church letter, it says, if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. And it's so important, church, as we go through this, uh, this um, message and this series on uh, being in the church, is that we hear the Spirit. And I'm asking you guys, I'm asking you for the next several weeks, all the time, really, but especially the next seven weeks, to really be praying in your morning prayer, God, help me hear what the Spirit's saying for my life and for my church, for my called out ones, for my friends that are called out of darkness, the group of people here. What are you saying to us as a whole? Don't pray, God, talk to Doug about it and make him tell us. That's what the Old, uh, Old Testament did when they said, Moses, you go and you talk to Jesus. No, guys, you're priests. You're a kingdom of priests. You can talk to Jesus. He's going to give you influence, and he's going to give you pieces that I can't hear right now. And that's why we are in a body, so that we can work together. So be praying as you're a part of this. This is your church. We are a church together. And ask God, God, show me by your spirit what maybe we're missing in our church. What should we add or maybe take away? Will you turn to Acts? We're going to read a couple scriptures, and um, we're done. I got... Fewer notes. I don't know if that's dangerous or not good. I, sometimes I think the fewer notes I have, the longer I go. The more notes I have, the less. I don't know. I, it keeps changing. Go to Acts 1.5. Book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 5. I mean 6. Yes, 6. I was just kidding about 5. Acts, chapter 1, verse 6. And it's a... A familiar one, you'll recognize the passage, but I want to read this and and make a couple points. Um, Verse 6 says, So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And that was, remember we were talking about, they were expecting power right then to overthrow Rome and, and have an actual rule. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, But you will receive power um, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Uh, Eight's a big verse there. We're not going to focus on that, but I do want to point out that you will receive power, dunamis, which is the root for dynamite. So this power is explosive power that God works in you to do his, do his will in ways. Um, and you will be my witnesses. I want you to, you can underline that word. Do you know the root in there is martyr? Oh, go. Do you want to be God's witness? Yeah, what, I'm a Christian. Oh, that, you, you're going to have to die. Huh? Wait, not all. Oh, you have to be ready to die. You know, the gospel calls us to die. If we don't die literally for our faith, we die daily in here and say, God, I'm yours. I die to self every day because my self wants to continue. My flesh wants to pull me back to the five senses and making those five senses happy. And I've got to constantly say no to those five senses and put God's word above those and say, no body, flesh, my spirit is going to take over and rule. Flesh, you are going to serve me as the spirit being that's in this body. You're going to serve me and my purposes, and you're going to listen to me, and I'm going to make you obey God. There's a fight, guys, and it's for the rest of your life, to making your spirit man in charge and strong, your flesh not so strong. That's why fasting is one of many great tools to help your spirit man go, yeah, and your body to say, no, stop, because your body hates it. I don't know about you. When I start thinking about a fast, I get hungry. 
I just could have ate a burger and fries, and I said, I'm going to fast tomorrow. Oh, my gosh, I, I, I need more food. Okay, it's just me, but, you know. Right there with you. Telling you. Telling. Thank you. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you. So Acts 6. So verse 8, we just read um, some interesting words. That's good for a good study and, and meditation. Verse 9, though, we're going to look at a few more verses. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Pretty amazing Wow, I can't even imagine that. 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will, 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 will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Whoa, wait a minute. This is the beginning, Acts, the beginning of the birthing of the church, and we have this awesome ascension picture where Jesus is, has spent 50 days, right? Pentecost is just about to happen. He's been appearing to different people, walking in the road, cooking them fish and biscuits or whatever, and, 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 and opening their eyes to the scriptures. They're going, oh, whoa, God, now I'm seeing it. Well, wow, that's awesome. Oh, you're Jesus. Oh, God. you know, they're just, their eyes are being opened in many ways. All these Old Testament scriptures that they had to memorize as kids, and they knew because they repeated it on every meal. Morning and night, they had stuff posted on their walls. They knew so much of the scriptures, and all of a sudden they're going, oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's, oh, what? The lamb, he's the lamb. Oh, you know, they're just, ex minds are exploding. And then they have this crazy thing that we would all love to bend there, right? And Jesus like, clouds, and he's like, there shining and disappears. And, what? Wow? At the same time of, where are you going? Like, don't leave, you know, right? And we're just, we're amazed. And God's birthing this church, and these angels appear and say, look, guys, you have a, you have a, you have a purpose now. Go out and start making disciples because this Jesus you just saw leave, he is coming back. You don't know when, but he is coming back, and you better be ready. Whoa. So this church, remember now, that is the birthing of the church. This is the time where the church is just beginning, a baby church. And it says, uh, in, my, in your notes, says, his return, fill in word return, his return is foundational to the plan. You see, God's original plan for the church was that the church is in a state of imminent return of Jesus Christ. We are in a state of expectation of him coming back any time. And now 2,000 years later, we reason, which is very dangerous sometimes when we allow our reasoning, logical thing to come in and try and over and supersede the wisdom of God's word and his scriptures. Very dangerous, but it happens to us, and so we got to be careful. But 2,000 years later, we say, well, he hasn't come back yet. Who knows how long it's going to be? I've got time. I can put that off till later. I'm going to enjoy my young years. I'm going to enjoy this time of my life. I'll stay in church and connect. I don't want to get too far, but, you know, I mean, to really get serious, maybe if something happens prophetically in Israel again, then I'll start getting a little, you know, up my prayer. I don't want to, you know, show up with no oil in my lamps, right? I don't want, to show, I don't want him to show up and not have oil, so... I'll wait, and if I have a few more signs, you know, if so-and-so you know, if, if -so gets saved, that'll be a miracle, so then I'll maybe start praying. 
Are you with me? I mean, honestly, it, it, it may be funny, but at the same time, it's so true in our flesh how we can reason away and build out this expectation of his return, but his return is foundational to the plan. In fact, to be a, an effective, and I'm not going to say church because I'm trying to change my vocabulary, to be an effective group of believers that are gathering together to make a difference for Jesus Christ, we, the, the, one of the essential ingredients to that is we all have to have this expectation that Jesus is coming back soon. And we are to be ready every day for his return. In fact, we are to live as if he's coming back today. And if we are to live as he's coming back today, that should dictate our behaviors for that day. And we should rule and reign and change those behaviors so they are aligning with a readiness of his return. Are you with me? Hebrews 10.25 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is actually 10.23, Hebrews 10.23. For he who promises faithful, meaning Jesus, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That was on the right list, huh? You know, we want to be stir- We want to figure out how we can love each other better. That's what God would uh, be happy with. 25, not neglecting to meeting together. I love to preach this, but when I preach this, everyone's here in church, and the people that need to hear that verse are not here in church. Just kidding, just kidding. So verse 25 says, not neglecting to meeting together, not neglecting church building on Pool Boulevard, but not neglecting to meeting together with other called out ones and focusing that Jesus is coming back, let's pray, let's encourage one another, let's love each other, let's make a difference. As some, it says, are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, we have to have the attitude when we gather together that, guys, we're a day closer to Jesus coming back than we were yesterday. What are we doing? Are we on focus? Let's encourage one another. Let's spur one another on. That means sometimes it hurts. It's not like, oh, hey, just try and read your Bible. It's like, no, man, quit being a wimp. You know, sometimes you got to be tough. You got to have a coach with you that loves you, speaks your language, but that loves you enough to be tough with you. So his return is foundational of the plan. And then I want to look at uh, really quickly uh, Acts 2.42. So in Acts 2, 42 through 47, we have this beautiful picture, and we're done with this script. This scripture is wrapping it up, but there's a couple intense words I want to dig deep on and look at, um, or actually just one today. Um, I want to break it down and look at this word. But um, Acts 2, 42 through 47 gives us this beautiful snapshot picture of what it's like in the culture of this brand new baby church. It gives you some elements of descriptive adjectives that are describing this uh, church concept, this new thing that's happening, and they, they really haven't figured it out. It's, it's not the perfect church, um, even though we look at it and go, wow, this is awesome. It's not the perfect church. It's still the baby church, but it's beautiful in its inception because it is uh, so uh, 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 genuine and it's so real and it's so from God that it wasn't uh, manufactured or made up. But I want to read through this and we're going to look at some of the concepts in here and ask ourselves the question, how do we be the church? How do we read this and be the church? And how does this fit in with God's original plan? So verse 42 says this. 
And they devote, and this is right after they preached Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. He's preaching repent and be baptized, and people are coming in daily. Verse 42 says, and they devoted, devoted, underline that word, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to, uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together, which the Greek word for temple is not exousia, it's not church. <laughs> they had a different word for their church building back then, and so should we, right? Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. I personally just like reading through that almost every time I read it. I don't, that's one thing, like, it's like the movie you never get sick of. I can read through that scripture and go, wow. I, I think, I, I've already read this. Why am I wowing? I've already read it 23 million times, right? I, why am I wowing? Because it's amazing. It's amazing. And I want us to catch some ideas out of this scripture, and, and they're in your notes. And the first idea or thought I want you to think about is this. That this behavior that we see here, this behavior is a response to receiving the promise. So this behavior that we're seeing, this cultural behavior in verse 42 through 47 is a natural response to receiving this promise of the Holy Spirit, this new birth of the church, this, this new empowerment, this new endowment from on high. It wasn't manufactured. It wasn't like they got filled with the Spirit and then said, oh, okay, we got this new Spirit thing, so now let's, let's, let's make up what it should be like. Let's, uh, let's start really loving each other, probably. You know, Jesus said that. You know, let's be kind. He talked about that too. Um, what else can we make this church look like? Uh, they didn't have that meeting. It was a natural response. They got filled with the Spirit, and God's love and Spirit now lives inside them. They are now empowered by the, the Spirit of God, and now as a natural reaction to that happening, they are devoted. They want to be taught. They want to give. They want to help others. They want to meet together. And for some reason, every day. It wasn't something they manufactured. It just happened. And I want you to think about God's original intent was for this to be a natural response to just his indwelling of his spirit coming in you and you coming alive again in your spirit. This is the, how you naturally would respond. And the hard part for me is I look at there and I go, why aren't these easy and natural responses for me? Kind of seems harder work right now than it should. And we'll talk more about that later. The second thought I want you to think about is this. This culture that you see here is empowered and sustainable and I may have not corrected your notes, but only by the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
If you think about this, and if you think this is a far-fetched cultural norm for a church, which is kind of easy to think, like, wait, could you ever, can you love someone enough in this room to sell something of yours that you like so that their needs will be met? Yikes. Can you give up something like that? Can you really truly love people that aren't your family like they're more than family? Because this type of culture is impossible without God's help. There's no way you can manufacture or even try to. It's like a utopian society. There's no way that'll ever happen on its own. It'd have to be a God-sent thing. And that society's only coming when he comes and rules and reigns, by the way. But this culture would not be here, and it did happen. So it's actually possible, but it's only possible by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it's only, we're only able to sustain something like this by the power of walking and having the Holy Spirit guide and direct our lives. There's no other way. And I think as we think of the birthing of the church and how great the church uh, is and God's original plan would be that we would be not just filled once but continually filled with the Spirit day by day so that our natural responses would be these things. But only by that would we ever even get close to the concepts here, right? And I know for me it's hard because I think, man, I, feel I need to really change some stuff then because... Some of these things, are I, I like it, it sounds good in, in word and reading it, but living it seems like a whole different thing. And so I, want, I challenge you with that today, like, do you want to live this? Do, do you really want your life to look like this glimpse of the church? Because it's a real good question, because... Our spirit Christian guy, our religious side, wants to go, yes, I do. I'm going to be the best Christian ever. But then we think about it, it's like, that's going to be difficult and sacrificial and selfless. And we live in a culture that tells us, look out for number one. It's all about you. Take care of number one. It's self-centered society. The last thought there is this. This generosity that you see here in this scripture, the generosity comes in part by knowing where your home really is. If you think about it, the only way these people could truly be generous like they are, I mean, selling their properties and possessions and all this stuff somewhat doesn't make sense to some of our minds. The only way they could really even start to do that is to, that, that they had a clear understanding is like, uh, this isn't my home. I'm a sojourner. I don't live here. This, I'm temporarily living here. That's why they did the Feast of Booths. They were temporary in the wilderness. They just they kept moving. They were, this wasn't their home. They were going to their home. They weren't in their home. And you and me are not in our eternal homes. This is all a temporary place. And that's the first thing you have to believe and understand if you ever want to get to the place where you could truly be generous. Because when you're giving stuff away and helping other people, you think, wow, how could I do that? But, well, that's not my stuff. Number one, it's God's. It belongs. He provided it, and I'm not staying here. All this stuff is burning up. Clothes, food, pictures on the wall, your cool refrigerator, all your stuff is going away and burning up. And you're left with all the investments you've made in heaven in the spiritual sense. You know, sometimes we think of this and go, man, this could be taken advantage of. And actually, some of these things in the early church we're taken advantage of. Because remember, this is in the first probably year of the church. 
you know, maybe even the first six months or so. And if you read the scriptures, you'll see Paul start talking about in some of his letters some 20 to 40 years later. So we see this concept growing from, yeah, I'm giving everything away, where you see, where Paul says, you need to take your hands and you need to do work and help provide. If you don't work, you don't eat. Wow, Paul, what happened? Well, people got in there and, hey, everyone's giving me stuff. I, I guess I'll just be lazy and do nothing. And so the church even had its problems that it had to work through and, and, and grow into a more mature body. But, but the essence of the beauty of the beginning is something that I want us to grasp in our hearts of what was the natural responses of this birthing of the church that made this 42 through 47 verses in Acts 2 so beautiful to me. I, and I don't know, I, can, I don't want to make that for you, but when I read it, I just think, I think it's hard and I don't know if I can do it, but I, I kind of want to. I, I want to be like, wouldn't it be cool to have friends like that? Wouldn't it be cool to have a, a body of believers that was so connected that it was like closer than family? And then Jesus says, yeah, you know why? Because if that happens, other people are going to look and go, I want in. That is amazing. The best way we can get out and reach people for Jesus Christ is to love each other hardcore. Oh, but let's do a, 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 you know, a, a, a taco truck. Let's have some blow-ups and have, and I'm not saying any of those are bad. I've done them all. I'm the most guilty person in this room of trying to get people in that way. And I'm not saying those are bad. But I'm saying the most effective tool, why? Because I said it? No, because God's idea was that you and me would love each other so hardcore and so real and so sacrificial that it would be so amazing that people would look in and go, what, your church did what? what? Your, these people are doing what for you? How, what in the world is going on? I need to come check this out. Think about that evangelism tool. Okay. Three pages of notes didn't help. My apologies. Okay, well, let's end with this. Digging deep. Let's dig deep on one word I want you to look at, and that is, you guessed it, devoted. The Bible says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. And you can kind of read through there kind of as a list and not really get to the meaning. So I want to kind of dig a little deeper into the word devotion, which right there in your notes, devotion, I think it's, pro yeah, it's a hard thing to say. I always think I'm going to get it, and I don't even try. Um, but devotion means to attend constantly. So that's just the direct definition, to attend constantly. And so if you just read that, you don't get the richness of the word. So let's dig a little deeper, because most Greek words are made up of root Greek words, that make up that word. So in this case, the two below it, pros and katero, make up the word for devotion. And so pros in there means this, towards, towards, or inter, uh, towards and interactively with. Interactively with. So pros means towards something, inter, inter, interacting with. And then katero means to show steadfast strength. Okay, to show steadfast strength. So you have this thought of towards each other. So if you think of the word devotion, you're devoted to someone, you're moving towards something, you're interacting with, with a huge show of strength that has steadfastness in it. Okay, now the other word I wanted to dig a little deeper, we haven't done this before, or you, you've probably seen it before, I'm sure, but uh, this, the root word for katerio, steadfast strength, is the Greek word kratos, which I thought maybe that's where they got karate from.
Kratos, but it's not. Um, I thought, that guy, you know, some Greek words, they have the dynamite, you know, it's dunamis, and it's dynamite. So I was like, oh, and I looked, and it wasn't. But the word, this word kratos means um, prevailing strength. And, and this strength is the one talked about in Ephesians, I think it's 1.13, about God's powerful strength. Like when God shows up in his power, it prevails. It's, there's nothing stronger than that power. There's nothing higher. There's no competition for the strength of God. It's prevailing strength. It's the strength that's the overcomer, and there's no question. It's the winner. It's the biggest. It's the strongest. And I thought, wow, wait a minute. This word is in the root makings of devotion, and they devoted themselves, and then they do the first one is teaching, Wait a minute. So devotion. So uh, another source uh, summed the word up like this, and this is what I want you to write down because this makes it really fun. It says the word means to continue to do something, to continue to do something with intense effort. And there's more. Hold on. It means to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of uh, despite difficulty. So to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of difficulties coming to you. Like, so this is an intense going towards understanding that things are going to come against you and try to prevail over you. Right? So to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication that difficulties are coming. To devote oneself to and to persist in is another way to say it. So what a rich word. Isn't that a rich, deep word of you think, I'm devoted, and we think of devotion today, but devotion really, so when you're saying this in the scripture in context, and they devoted... And they continued to do something with intense effort, knowing that uh, difficulties were coming and resistance would be there. They continued to uh, be taught by the apostles to fellowship, koinonia, we'll look at that later, to the breaking of bread, communion and breaking bread and eating together, and prayers. So you can say they devoted to each one of those They devoted to teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted. They continued to do prayer with intense effort, knowing that uh, despite the difficulties. Whoa. So if you think about these words with the true meaning of devotion, you think, am I devoted? Am I devoted? Am I really devoted to Jesus? Am I devoted to, am I really devoted to you? And then you have to look around at everyone in this building and say, am I devoted to them? Am I called to be this intensely devoted to Becca? If I'm devoted to you, like the Bible says, I'm devoted one to another in brotherly love. If I'm devoted to you, Becca, that means I'm going to continually do something with intense effort. That means I'm going to pray for you. That means I'm going to care about you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to be, uh, and despite the, the, the difficulties that will come with that, I'm going to press through because the root word is kratos and it means prevailing strength. 
It means that I'm going to break through. I'm devoted. I am breaking through this wall no matter how long, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what difficulties come my way, no matter what the wall's made of, I'm going to figure out a way and I'm going to break through because I'm devoted. And I think, wow, am I devoted to Jesus this way? Am I devoted to my personal walk with Jesus Christ? Am I going to continue to, do, to seek Jesus Christ with intense effort, with the possibility and implication that there's going to be major difficulties? I'm going to persist. Whoa. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the opportunity and the honor to look into your word and investigate it and learn from it and, and let its glory change us. Lord, we're so thankful, God, that you are um, spurring us on to good works. Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, um, you are challenging us by your word to change and to be transformed into your likeness and to renew our minds and to become more and more like you and Lord, we're so thankful for your grace and your patience and your faithfulness in that process. Oh, Lord, there's no one like you. We're so grateful and thankful for all that you're doing for us. God, help us to see this week more of your original plan for your church. Lord, I pray that you would empower us this week to be the church. Lord, I pray this week you would show us new nuances of your heart towards your original plan and what you want us to start, maybe recognizing, Lord, uh, I, I almost wouldn't want a letter written to the church at Rivers, like in Revelations, because it might be too scary. But, Lord, I, I do want it. I do want to know, God, where is your uh, perception of our church, uh, Lord, because our view of success is not yours. And what we think is being a, a successful church may not even be on your paper, and so, God, help us to see this group of believers and what we do and how we do it based on what your heartbeat is, not our own heartbeat, not what we think is going to make other people happy, but what will make you happy. So, God, would you, Lord, let this not just be a Sunday topic. Let this not just be a sermon that we hear and forget about. Let it be a, a topic in your word that we actually talk about with our family and friends and other church members that we dig deeper and we pray about and we really allow you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth. Teach us all things. Your word in the Gospel of John declares that the Spirit of God will lead you into all truth and show you things to come. And so, God, we're asking, Holy Ghost, that you, by your, by your faithfulness and love for us, would show us and lead us into truth so that we could truly be a bride, a church, ready for your return, ready for your imminent return, God, that you are coming back. It is as sure as day, Lord. You are coming back for your church, God, and we want to be ready doing what you've called us to do. So help us in this journey, Lord. We love it, and we're so thankful that you're taking us on something that's going to help us reflect your love to each other and this world. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, guys. Thanks for hanging in there. I know I went a little long. It kind of sounds like I say that every week. I probably do. But I love you guys. Share that with someone. Give someone a hug before you leave, and we'll see you next week. Love you guys.